died for his sin that he committed against the Lord. And because of the word of the Lord, which he did not keep, because of that, he didn't keep God's word. He didn't keep his commands that were given to him. And also because he had asked counsel from a medium. So we see that there's this this kind of downward spiral that's beginning to happen. Doesn't keep the word, steps away from disconnects from God, quits reading the word, quits praying to God, quits talking to God. He doesn't have any kind of communication with God. Now he goes to outside sources to seek advice. Today, Pastor Mark will be reminding us how although God is love, He is also a just and righteous judge. God is holy, and in order for us to commune with Him and eventually have fellowship in heaven with Him, we must have the righteousness of Christ within us. In our text today, Saul dies because of his sin against God. God lovingly tries drawing everyone to repentance, and oftentimes gives multiple U-turns to get us in the right direction. There comes a point, however, when God allows us to reap what we sow because He is just and not mocked. We need to make sure that we don't take advantage of God's grace. Well, let's join Pastor Mark in the book of 1 Samuel chapter 31 with today's edition of Come Alive. When somebody's sin does these things, it affects other people around. Not just that one individual, but a lot of people all the way around them. So that's what we see here as well. Uh, That brave and worthy Jonathan dies, like I said, we might expect him to loyally fighting for his God, his country, and his father, the king, doing what he needs to do until the very end. And their death was tragic. It was a tragic death. Yet, it was an important plan in God's life. It was an important plan in God's whole picture here when you see this. And taking the logical heirs to Saul's throne, God kind of clears the way for David because though Jonathan said, hey man, I don't want it, I'll let you have it. Well, these other two could have fought David for it. So you kind of look at like, okay, well, you know what? This, this is a way these guys are fighting with their dad and there's no trouble for David. And so David had a way cleared for him to become the next king of Israel. Well, we know that if Jonathan had survived, he would have gladly yielded the throne to David according to uh, 1 Samuel 18. And yet here... The same couldn't be said of Saul's other sons. We don't know. It could go either way in this situation. And so God was merciful to the nation and to David in taking Saul's sons in battle. So this was also very merciful to to Jonathan, sparing him the ordeal of having to side either with David or his family. And so we can kind of see God's mercy working out. So number one would be the enemy triumphs. Number two would be, well, sin causes kids problems. His sin caused his kids some problems. And look at verse 3. It says, And the battle became fierce against Saul. The archers hit him, and he was severely wounded by the archers. And then Saul said to his armor bearer, Draw your sword and thrust me through with it, lest these uncircumcised men come and thrust me through and abuse me. But his armor bearer would not, for he was greatly afraid. Therefore Saul took a sword and fell on it. And when his armor bearer saw that Saul was dead, he also fell on his sword and died with him. So Saul, his three sons, his armor bearer, and all his men died together that same day. 
And when the men of Israel who were on the other side of the valley and those who were on the other side of the Jordan saw that the men of Israel had fled and that Saul and his sons were dead, they forsook the cities and they fled. And the Philistines came and dwelt in them. Let's stop there. So the third thing we could say is an example was embraced. An example was embraced. And you can see how Saul's example was. In battling the Philistines, Saul saw his sons and his soldiers all dying. And his own sons falling and dying, and he himself was shot with an arrow. Like in First Chronicles 10, 13, if you guys want to turn there and, and, and check it out, you don't have to. I can turn there and read it to you. First Chronicles chapter 10, verse 13 says, So Saul died for his unfaithfulness, which he had committed against the Lord, because he did not keep the word of the Lord, and also because he consulted a medium for guidance. But he did not inquire of the Lord. Therefore, he, being the Lord, killed him and turned the kingdom over to David, the son of Jesse. And so Saul died for his trespass, which he committed against the Lord. Saul died for his sin that he committed against the Lord. And because of the word of the Lord, which he did not keep, Because of that, he didn't keep God's word. He didn't keep his commands that were given to him. And also because he had asked counsel from a medium. So we see that there's this this kind of downward spiral that's beginning to happen. Doesn't keep the word. Steps away from, disconnects from God. Quits reading the word. Quits praying to God. Quits talking to God. He doesn't have any kind of communication with God. Now he goes to outside sources to seek advice and make an inquiry of it. He doesn't inquire of the Lord. And so therefore it says that the Lord killed him and turned the kingdom to David, the son of Jesse. And we see this here taking place because, well, Saul knew better. Saul knew better. See, fear overtook faith in Saul's life. And so now an example is embraced because when they see this happening to Saul, when he thrusts himself on his own sword, everybody's looking on. I mean, it's your leader. You're supposed to go down with the ship, not jump out and let the ship sink you. You're supposed to hang on. You're supposed to continue in battle in this. And yet, he takes the coward's way out. He commits suicide, or tries to. He didn't even do that well. And so, fear overtook the faith. And so, instead of being faithful, Saul was fearful. He was very fearful. So, why does Saul look at his sword and choose to fall on it? You know, that's a question when I read this. I was like, why does he choose to do this? Well, Saul's a man of war. And he recognizes that there's a price you must pay as a man of war. And so because he lost courage, because he walked away from God, he thinks to himself, I just want to end it. We're not going to win anyway. I mean, look at it. I mean, all my guys are dying. My three sons are dead. Let's just get it over with. I want it to be over. And again, what's he do? He takes matters into his own hands. He takes matters into his own hands. And let let me say this, this is suicide. When we take our spiritual lives, when we take matters into our own hands, it's a spiritual suicide for us. And I see it happen all the time. People take matters into their own hands. Well, I'm going to do it this way. I know this is what the Bible says, but, you know, God's a merciful, graceful God. Well, he is. He truly, truly is. He's also a gentleman. He's not going to force you to do something you just don't want to do. And then when you come back and be like, well, why would God allow this? Uh, It's just kind of like, I'm really confused. You're confusing me. You wanted to do it, but yet you don't want anyone to stop you from doing it. And then when you do it and all these problems happen, now you wish somebody would have stopped you and you didn't heed any of the warning signs 
but you continue doing it. And so I have no idea what to say to that other than, well, it's a good time to start over right now and repent. So, again, sometimes it's a spiritual suicide for us when we take matters into our own hands. And so he asks his armor bearer, Saul asks his armor bearer to do it. Hey, kill me. And the guy says, no way. And so Saul says, I'm going to go ahead, you know, and he just throws himself on his own sword. And and again, he didn't even do that well because he's still alive. So notice what the armor bearer does. He does the same thing. An example is embraced. The armor bearer is like, well, Dude, if you're doing it, you're my leader, and you lead by example type of a situation, well, I'm going to do it. So suicide's the last resort of a man who basically cannot stand up to his life. Suicide is the last resort for a man who cannot stand up to life. And that's a sad place for Saul to be. It's a sad place for anyone to be. And so the armor bearer embraces what Saul did, and now we have the mighty men of Israel. Uh, the men of God who were supposed to be looking for a victory, those guys looking to God for victory and looking to their leader, and they see all this tragedy happening, and now all of a sudden they're not looking to God for their strength anymore. Well, what do they do? They see that their leader impels himself. He gives up, and so did they. So did they. They gave up, and they just left the people. They took off running. We're out of here, guys. Oh, we're not going to get beat. We don't want to get whipped. So they left the the people of that city in the hands of the enemy. And that's a horrible thing to do because the enemy comes in and ransacks the city. And again, when a leader, King Saul, was struck, it spread panic among God's people. A ton of panic. So all the rest of the valiant men take off running. See, Jesus knew this same principle, and he knew it would be used against his own disciples. In Mark 14, in verse, uh, chapter 14, verse 27, it says that, Then Jesus said to them, All of you will be made to stumble because of me this night. For it is written, I will strike the shepherd, and the sheep will be scattered. And do you remember that's what happened? Jesus predicted that of his disciples, and Peter's like, oh, No, 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 I'll be there with you. And, and Peter, man, you know, he really blows it bad. And so, in Jesus' case, he knew that after the glory of his triumph on the cross and over death at the empty tomb, the disciples would once again be gathered back to him. But Saul, as, as being the leader, he blows it. Saul doesn't know what's going to happen, so he, he leads the bad way. But it isn't always the case today when a leader of God's work falls. And you see this a lot. When, when leaders of God's work and those guys on TV or some, some pastor of the church, when, when that leader falls, again... You know, ideally, people would look to the Lord. That's the idea, is that we don't look to man, but we look to God first and foremost. We look to, to, to our King, our Savior. But they don't, and, and, and they stumble themselves because they look at that leader's fall, and they think, oh, man, if a good guy like that can fall, then anyone can. And that's true. Anyone can, but we look to God for our strength. And so did the people of Israel need Saul to win the battle? No. I think if they really would have looked to the Lord and they would have really been like, hey, let's go for it, they could have won. God could have taken Saul out and said, okay, cool, here it is. But it didn't work out that way. The people embraced Saul's example. They chickened out and they left. And so many Christians find it easier to take their teaching from godly men, which is great only, which is not great. If you only take your teaching from godly men and you don't wait upon God to receive from him, then it's not good because being a human, I can make mistakes. You can make mistakes. And so our teaching needs to be from godly men 
weighing it again against God's word, checking it out what the scriptures say, and saying, wow, you know what? Here it is. Here's what the Bible says about this. Instead of just, oh, man, I can't believe he fell. Well, I guess we're done with church. It's happened this week in a, in a friend of mine's life. He had lost a, a good friend of his was a youth pastor, and this guy had died. And so this guy just steps away and walks away. I can't believe there's nobody here for me. And he disappears and stepped away from the faith. And the guy passes away, and he feels that that was his. And it's like, man, that is not God. That human is not God. God is God. God is still on the throne today. And again, a lot of us Christians find it easier just to follow the teaching of a man because we like what he says or how he says it rather than really seeking hard after God and following God. So their faith stands in the wisdom of men and not in the power of God. And the same thing with Saul. Saul had faith in himself. Saul's sin hardened and rebellion and eventual ruin affected far more than just himself and his immediate family. It, 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 it endangered the entire nation of Israel. The whole nation of Israel is endangered at this point. Look at verse 8. So it happened the next day when the Philistines came to strip the slain, they found Saul and his three sons fallen on Mount Gilboa. Verse 9, and they cut off his head and they stripped off his armor and sent word throughout the land of the Philistines to proclaim it in the temple of their idols and among the people. And then they put his armor in the temple of the Ashereths and they fastened his body to the wall of Beth Shan. Now, Saul's tragic death gave opportunity for the enemies of the Lord to disgrace his name. First, they gave the ultimate insult to Saul in the, that culture. To have your dead body treated in that way was considered a, a fate worse than death itself. So what they do is they strip him off all his armor. I mean, they did, I mean it should sound familiar to us. Just not too long ago, the same thing happened in Libya. You know, the way a, a, a dead body of an ambassador was treated. And yet, it's funny that here it's the same thing. It goes back thousands of years that these people, that the people in that culture and in this time, that's how they would disgrace you. It was, it's kind of saying it's, it's a fate worse than death. And so, here again, second, Saul's death was used to glorify pagan gods. Pagan gods are glorified and to mock the living God. It was high on a wall that they pin him up. They pin him up and, and put him on a temple on a hill. And the Philistines kind of, you know, hang this decapitated corpse on this wall. Of, and, and it's King Saul in the ultimate display of humiliation. And, I mean, you could see this temple. It says it was up, and it's, it is up high. And so they, they, they totally disgrace him. And, and it's kind of a, a signal saying, hey, you know what? We're better than Saul. We're better than Saul. We're better than you, Israel's, and we've proven it. We got your king, and he's pinned up to the wall here. Look at verse 11. It says, Now when the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead heard what the Philistines had done to Saul, all the valiant men arose and traveled all night and took the body of Saul and the bodies of his sons from the wall of Bethshan, and they came to Jabesh and burned them there. And then they took their bones and they buried them under the tamarisk tree at Jabesh and fasted seven days. So when the valiant men of Jabesh Gilead hear of what happened and get word of Saul's corpse being pinned to this wall of a Philistine city, their hearts were stirred with compassion. They're like, there's no way we're going to let this happen. 
Or we're going to go and we're going to get him. So they march all night. They risk their lives to recover the bodies of Saul and his son. Uh, and Saul and his son's bodies were so mutilated, you have to think that they had to burn their bodies. Uh, they were so mutilated, so abused, that they had to burn their bodies, but their bones were buried under a tree in their own city. And so why would these guys do that for Saul? And you have to think about it. He, he, kinda, he wasn't the best king that they'd ever had, but why would they do that for Saul? Well, here's one idea. Remember what happened when Saul was presented as king over Israel? Uh, the, some of the people um, had said stuff like certain people were real happy and others were upset. And they had said, we're not going to have this farmer of Benjamin rule over us. But basically they were like, we're not going to have this hick kid or this hick guy, this hillbilly, this redneck, this country boy become our leader. No, no way. And others were happy. Some weren't so happy. And so Saul realized the opinion about him was kind of split. It was a 50-50 probably. I'm not sure. So he returns to the farm, continues to do farm stuff, until one day the men of Jabesh-Gilead wind up in a little bit of trouble. And Nahash, the Ammonite, threatens to wage war against the men of Jabesh-Gilead. And Saul was moved with compassion, it says, and he rallied the the valiant men of Israel. He rallied the men of Israel. Uh, Saul and an army of men marched all night to rescue the inhabitants of Jabesh-Gilead. And so I think it was never forgotten that these guys never forgot what Saul had done. Now, you know, we kind of like to look at Saul and be like, oh, you know, he's a bad dude. But there's, there are bad dudes out there that have some good qualities. And there's some good quality people out there that have some, well, bad qualities. And so here, here's what happens. These guys march all night. They kind of repay the favor. It was never forgotten. Some 40 years later, they don't forget what Saul had done for them. And so when he was naked and beheaded and pinned to a wall, the men had been shown mercy, and they returned the favor. They go and they rescue the dead body of Saul and his sons. And we can feel bad for Saul because, I mean, you look at him, and you guys, we've talked about what a type is, right? It's a picture. It's a spiritual picture of something. So Saul would be a type of a carnal Christian, a carnal Christian, somebody that, that selects what they're going to do or not going to do. They know that God exists, and, and they've made a profession of faith, but yet they just have a real hard time really giving 100% to the Lord. They, they don't give 100%. They might give 20. They might give 80. They, they might give a little bit, different percentages, but they're a carnal Christian. And so they're really not going to do or they're really not going to submit to the lordship of Jesus Christ. So the carnal Christian says, I want God for all the good reasons. I want God for all the good stuff. But when it comes to the place where it may cost me something, uh, I'm just, I'm not going to do it. Uh, I'm really not going to submit to that. And so I'm going to choose to do whatever I want to do and I'm going to take matters into my own hands and that's what a carnal Christian would be. And so the Amalekites, remember the Amalekites, they're a type in a picture of the flesh. And we've talked about this before. And in the New Testament, we're told to make no provision for the flesh, right? No provision at all for the flesh. The flesh needs to be put to death, utterly 100% destroyed. And so the Philistines here come in and they, they, they wipe these towns clean. But yet later on, we're going to read about an Amalekite. There's another battle that's taken place. And they should have been put to death. And they weren't. And so there's another king, you know, when we think about this, and we try to compare, like, okay, well, we just saw a type of a carnal Christian, but isn't there another type of a king? Well, sure, there's another type of a king. 
There's another type of a king that we know in the New Testament. His name's Jesus Christ. And he as well was pinned to something. He wasn't pinned to a wall, but he was pinned to a cross. And he experienced the agony, the humiliation, and he was spiritually decapitated, for he was the head of the church. And so, you know, when we look at these two comparisons, the carnal Christian and what Jesus has done for you and I, we really see no provision, no place where there's like a, a middle ground where we can say, well, it's all right to be a carnal Christian. I mean, I still have God, you know, and it's all right. He'll understand, though he may, but why suffer all the consequences? Well, why go through the humiliation? Why go through that? But we look at how he was pinned, and, and again, he was spiritually the head of the church. We could say they decapitated him. They took him out. They got rid of him. But yet he rises three days later. Well, where was his body? And like in our story, uh, his disciples fled as well, right? The disciples take off all except for John, yet we can't come to his rescue. Well, why can't we come to his rescue? Because he was the one that rescued us. He, he was the one that rescued us so we can put the flesh to death. And yet he dies for you and I so we can be free and, and so we can no longer be captives and we can be victors, we can be conquerors. And so we no longer, or we don't have to be pinned to anything, nailed to a cross, suffer that way because of our sins. So to, today as we celebrate communion, I want us to take a look at, well, one, have you been a Saul, a carnal Christian? Has your sins maybe taken and been an example for your children that they could possibly follow in so many bad ways? And maybe today's one of those days where we truly repent as individuals as we remember, as we look back here and we remembered what Saul had done, but as we remember more of what Jesus Christ has done for us as a king. And we can see, remember when we started the study of 1 Samuel, we said 1 Samuel is, is a, a, a contrast and a comparison. You can, we compare David and Saul. We can compare Saul to Jesus, a king and a king, a good king and a bad king. And so we see what the good king has, has done for us is he died on a cross for you and I. He was pinned to that cross for you and I, so you and me wouldn't have to be pinned to that cross. We're not to live like Saul, that carnal lifestyle, taking matters into our own hand, but surrendering our, surrendering our lives fully and 100% over to Jesus Christ. Uh, that we were purchased at a great price. That we, like the people of Jabesh Gilead, would remember that we would remember what our king has done for us and be willing to march all night to run and again not that we can rescue jesus but that we could rescue those that jesus came to rescue that we could present the gospel message to others who who may not have hope who don't know jesus christ as their lord and savior and so that we could show mercy and repay the favor by living for jesus instead of well living for ourselves Every book in the Bible holds meaning for us, even in our modern times. In 1 Samuel, for example, Pastor Mark has been teaching us about the power and sovereignty of God. Our Creator does what He needs to in order to accomplish His tasks, regardless of our involvement. How much better would it be, though, if we did step into God's plan for His world? God wants to use each of us to do incredible things for the kingdom. All we need to do is be willing. We're so glad you tuned in today to learn from 1 Samuel. And we'd like to encourage you to keep reading ahead. You'll learn a lot as you discover God for yourself. Another good place to hear and study the Word is in a church setting. 
Here's Tracy with a little more about what being in the body of Christ can mean for you. Joining a church is more than just showing up for a Sunday morning service. It's getting to know the people you're worshiping with. As the church body grows together in the love and teaching of God's Word, it will become a powerful and effective witness for Christ within its walls and beyond. If you're near Katy, Texas, we'd love to meet you Sunday at 10 a.m. at Calvary Katy. Visit ComeAliveRadio.com to find out more and get directions. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast as well to keep up with the latest editions of Come Alive. You can find it on Google Play or iTunes. Thanks for tuning in today to Come Alive.